Tune in as we touch on the surprising relationship between sleep and autism and discuss why your child may be struggling to fall or stay asleep at night. Welcome to Embracing Autism, a podcast for parents of autistic children seeking advice and support while spreading awareness and acceptance of autism spectrum disorder. I'm Leah. And I'm Matt. And each week we will discuss our journey with autism and talk about how to embrace your child's individuality while providing guidance, tips, resources, and sharing our personal stories. This is Embracing Embracing Autism. Autism. Welcome back, Embracers. We are here. And you are too, unfortunately. (laughs) Sometimes that's all we can ask that we're here. (laughs) Um, So today we are going to be talking about sleep disturbances and autism. It's probably why we are so kooky when we are on this podcast, because I get no sleep. (laughs) Uh, We are totally sleep deprived between the kids and the autism and the the autism wish and the (laughs) podcast. Yeah, there's no sleep that happens. I wanted to talk about this because I found a surprising statistic that kind of shocked me, but I had a sneaking suspicion just from my own experience and our girls. So I found this study Actually, it was a few studies. So this is a study about studies. They're called literature reviews. <laughs> it's a thing. So basically, this study took a look at tons of other studies following autism and the relationship with sleep. And what they found is that a lot of individuals with low-functioning autism experience significant impairments that are associated with sleep problems or sleep disorders specifically. And they found that sleep disorders occur frequently with autism with a reporting of about 50 to 80 percent of prevalence. So what that means is about 50 to 80 percent of autistic individuals, primarily low functionings, but also the higher functioning, experience some form of sleep disturbances. So I thought that was fascinating given our experience with our kids and my own sleep issues. Yeah, if you think of our family and you're like, well, okay, so the youngest one definitely does because she wakes up in the middle of the night frequently and will be crying. Leah, you have your own. I've always had a lot of issues with sleep. I think it's been at least a decade, if not longer. And I'm not sure if you remember our oldest. I mean, I think she still does, where she'll be like carrying on conversations like completely like oh, yeah. asleep. She- and it like, it like spooks me out because I'll be like, who is she talking what to? What is that called again? There's a name for it, but it's like, yeah, she talks in her sleep. Remember that one time that we, we were We thought she was completely awake. Yeah. And we heard like something on the monitor. We're like, what the heck is going on? And then we walked in and like, she's she completely asleep. Remember? She was sitting up with her eyes closed talking and then she like, laid back, back down. down. And fell, or I guess she didn't fall back asleep. She's already asleep. Yeah, so. she was asleep the but whole time. But yeah, it was, it was kind of spooky because I, I mean, I don't know. It is creepy. It. it makes you think of like those horror movies right. where you have the black and white and then you see like the little ghost with the dress. Right. Yeah, I was like, oh, I don't really want you to be doing that right now, sweetie. You're scaring right. mommy. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I mean, I think there there is some underlining sleep disturbances there as well with our oldest. So I would say, what are we, three for three? Because I mean, I don't don't think three I do. for three yeah probably <laughs> i mean not you you I, sleep at the drop of a hat you have no problem i know but we, but we have the monitor so i hear like the little one so i'm i'm so jealous of you so like <sighs> matt he can just sleep like at will like if you're like oh it's 2 p.m in the afternoon are you tired sure go take a nap he's out snoring like i wish i had that talent I'm just overworked and just tired <laughs> Yeah, that's the reason. (laughs) So for us, like me and my kids, sleep is such a struggle. I have had to make so many accommodations and adjustments just to be able to sleep at a reasonable time, which usually for me, falling asleep at a reasonable time means anywhere between like 
10 p.m. to like one or two in the morning. Yeah, I agree. You're you're terrible. I mean, <laughs> I'm terrible. Well, I mean, with that, I mean, because like you'll you'll put like the TV on, you're like, oh, I'm just gonna set like the timer to be like a two hour, be like a two hour timer. Oh, I put like a three plus hour timer because I know that if it turns off before I'm fully asleep, I will wake up again. All right. So I mean, thankfully we've set some minor like adjustments to try and help with that. If yeah. Were. So there's a few different things that I have learned, both with my experience and my kids. One of those is that a huge contributor to this sleep difficulty for me and my kids has been sensory related. So for me, for example, anytime I go to like a hotel or I go visit family or friends and I have to stay in their bed, it is so much harder for me to sleep and it takes me so much longer. I mean, hours longer because I don't have the accommodations that I've placed for myself at home where at home now I have my double weighted blankets. I have a ton of pillows that I literally literally cocoon my body in like you can't see my face i have like a little hole so i can breathe and then the rest of it is just weighted blanket and pillows but it was funny like, i mean obviously the one time we we did go up to visit your family we brought like what like a couple like big trash bags yeah full of just pillows. we weren't playing around we we're like no we're taking massive <laughs> right. trash bags full of pillows we probably brought between us what 10 15 pillows was, it was it was like two like full trash bags worth of pillows yeah Yeah, like giant trash bags yeah we we just bring the pillows with us because it's that big of a problem but i'm also wondering like for our girls i think for our youngest it is likely due to some type of like dreaming activity that is causing her to wake up because it's not like she like wakes up and then just kind of like uh and kind of it's like she's waking up like crying full-on tears and when i like go on in to check on her in the middle of the night after she wakes up she's actually like crying and it takes me a little while just to calm her down to get her where she's not crying because she barely even talk so it has to be something with like dreaming or something like uh, nightmares or like night terrors or something yeah so for her we have not actually figured out what the cause is she was a colicky baby from birth so ever since she was born she has never been able to sleep on her own she required us to put her in like a rocker swing the entire time that she was born all the way through infancy she would have to fall asleep in a rocker and then we would transfer her to the bed because she couldn't sleep without motion and even now she's almost four and every single night she still asks for us to rock her and then we have to rock her and then put her to bed for her, I feel like it's been a lot of sensory seeking behavior, which I can kind of relate to, honestly, because I'm the same way. Like I need a lot of sensory input. So like for me, I need like my blankets and my pillows, but I also have to have sensory noise. So the reason I have the TV on is because I need the TV to concentrate on that because the TV usually has a plot or something. So I can listen to that and my brain will be interested in it. And I need that because if the TV is off, then I can hear electricity or I can hear the highway or I can hear all these other things way too loud and then I cannot fall asleep. It's like a mosquito constantly buzzing in your ear. Like there's no way I can sleep with that. But I guess the nice thing is because you have these struggles, we are able to accommodate like our youngest. You are able to hear all these different things like the trucks on the road, for example. So we are aware of like, okay, maybe we can put like classical music playing for our youngest child. So similar to like your TV where you have a plot, well, obviously, we don't want her staying up watching TV all night. So we, we put like classical music and it has like images or whatever. So she's able to kind of like look at it and see like, oh, like a cat or something. But she's able to like listen to the music. So it drowns out some of the other items that are going on. And I mean, she has like a fan too, which adds more white noise. And then, of course, she does have the um, earmuffs as well that she knows how to put on because they're for babies. 
we have added these accommodations as well as like the blankets to make sure that almost, I mean, we're almost mirroring your accommodations <laughs> at night for yeah. them as well. I mean, we, I mean, it's true. We really you're are. right. I never thought of it that way, but yeah, you're right. It is pretty much like every, the baby version of what I do. Right. So every accommodation that you basically have to try and sleep, we've accommodated for our daughters. And I think it's helped. But yeah. I mean, it's still kind of an ongoing struggle. She still has a hard time sleeping through the night. And when she does wake up, she's waking up crying and frantic. Yeah, we're not sure if there's something else going on with her because she's had these issues since birth. So we are actually bringing her to a doctor in the next couple of days to try to get a follow up and see. Just make sure that we're ruling out anything else because there are certain things that are associated with autism that could also be the cause for sleep disturbances. Unfortunately, some of those things can be like seizure activity and other things like that that might be a little bit more of a medical necessity. So we are going to basically pursue an assessment just to rule out any of those potential medical issues. If you do feel like your child has a lot of sleep disturbances and nothing that you have done has worked, whether that's sensory accommodations, that would be my first thing to do. So what we did immediately is the sensory accommodations. So we put in like the weighted blankets, the earmuffs, some quiet noise, some white noise for them. Make sure that the lights are blocked out or if they're a light seeker, have a nice night light in there. Like one of ours, she loves the lights. So she has like four different night lights. Well, honestly, even if we're thinking about like accommodations to help sleep, it goes back even further than that. Remember her head banging in the crib, how we once we had to get her out of the crib to get her like a little side bed. But then we also put like sensory items in there. So if she needed motion during the night, it wasn't her banging her head. She was able to bounce on a horse or her little rock or bouncy horse. It's like her inflatable horse. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, we were even making accommodations. I mean, at what, one years old? Yeah. And if they're still a big chewer, just have a bunch of chewy tubes available for them. Them, just like anything that you can think of that might be the sensory piece, just to rule that out, make sure that they have access to that. As long as it's not like a choking hazard or something that you don't want them sleeping with, like you don't want them to necessarily have anything that is stringy that they could accidentally tie around their neck or anything like that. And we've had a few things that we had to like rule out, like we've attempted many things that we thought were a good idea at the time, but reflect like uh, the inflatable canoe in her bed remember that well that too but i was thinking remember the fish <laughs> yeah that like bubble tube yeah, lamp it's like a thing. cylinder with like water and like i thought it was super cool it, it is no it, it's really cool but the problem is <laughs> so okay these bubble tubes we actually got one through like a grant right and it's so cool it's like full of water there's fish that float in it it has multi-colors and the fish swim around they're they're fake they're plastic yeah fish. of they're course not, they're not real, they're not real fish. <laughs> and of course it sounds super cool in theory the problem is and what they don't tell you in the description is that they're super loud and as far as like trying to like get it mounted because like it has a stand but of course like kids want to like play with it and touch it, it keeps falling over and then the lid doesn't shut so the kid right. could just open it and stick their hand in right. it and our kids loved water and sensory play so and they, they kept found, opening the tank. And they found paper to shove in there and like clog the whole Which then burnt out the whole thing. engine. Yeah. yeah, so. So needless to say, if you're looking into like one of those bubble tubes, there's a couple things you need to do, like tape the thing shut. <laughs> right. So this was early on when we were trying to find like white noise and like a peaceful, like sensory uh, environment for them. And then we're like, okay, that clearly didn't work. Let's find something else. Yeah. So, I mean, you do have to play a little bit like investigator or detective trying to find out like, okay, what is the need? How can I best accommodate that? 
that and then see if it works. Not everything will work. And then kind of go from there to see, okay, did they sleep through the night? Are they still struggling? And then play it by ear again. And some sensory things are calming while other sensory things are activating. So we found that the bubble tube for our kids was not calming. It was activating. Our kids would get excited. They get out of bed and they go to it and try to play with it. So it kept them up longer. So you got to make sure that whatever it is that you are trying to use to help your child go to sleep is something that will have a calming effect. And I will say it might work with older kids. Ours were probably what, both under three? I think one was three and one was maybe two. Yeah, I think so. So, I mean, obviously, if your kids are like older, maybe like seven, it might be fantastic. But depending on the ages, it makes a big difference. And there are smaller ones that you can get that just like plug in and they're fake and they're like desk size. Those would probably work better. I don't think that those would be as much of a challenge or a hazard, but that definitely did not work for us. Another thing to consider with sleep disturbances that we have tried, we gained a little success, but kind of stopped is trying to give your child melatonin for sleep disturbance. Now, I personally have tried melatonin and I don't know why, but it actually worked really well for me. Wait, you don't know why a medication that's no because i have had no because i've had prescription grade oh like i've had prescribed sleep medication like ambien and that did not work it didn't work so i did not think that something that's way weaker than that would have such a strong effect on me oh no it it definitely worked for me this was when i was getting up at like commuting at like five in the morning and i was going in but like night works (laughs) on you so it was it was bad i never never did it you're lightweight when it comes to like sleep medication but but for for me i'm not the biggest fan of introducing medication on a like regular schedule right. yeah i mean I, I want to exhaust all other approaches before you resort to kind of like medication on a regular basis especially like when our kids are so young yeah because the downside is with things like melatonin like we have used it it has worked but we try not to rely on it because melatonin is a naturally occurring hormone in your body studies have basically found that if you are artificially changing that balance in your kid over time what happens is you're kind of tricking your body into thinking that that it doesn't need as much melatonin anymore. And so if you stop, then basically your body starts producing less of it naturally. So then you kind of end up being like a little bit reliant. Yeah, because you basically make your body think that that's your normal level. Oh, I don't need to produce these. I can scale it back. So then you'll kind of have to always put your kid on melatonin because over time your body just won't know how to do it as well, basically. Right. So, I mean, we are looking into other avenues. The common one, I think, is like doing milk at night right before like bedtime. Warm milk. That's one we were going to try. Right. Our pediatrician said to try warm milk or that nighttime sleepy time tea. They said to try that too. And then, of course, to have like a bedtime routine. I know that one doesn't tend to work for a lot of people. It's hit or miss with us. Sometimes it does work. Sometimes it doesn't. But apparently milk has another hormone in it that is like a naturally occurring sleepy hormone that's just made to like soothe and comfort. And that's why when you're breastfeeding babies, usually after you breastfeed them, if you notice, nine times out of 10, they fall asleep. Pop some milk into her. <laughs> that just that well, I was thinking of like coming, a bottle. That like weird coming after <laughs> breastfeeding. I know, not, not intended. I am not it. breastfeeding my four-year-old right now. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's something that we have basically been taking into consideration. 
But I wanted to just stress to everybody the importance of taking the sleep routine seriously because sometimes people get overwhelmed and I I get it. As a parent, it is so stressful just struggling to put your kid to sleep. If they're waking up all the time, then you have to wake up all the time. I know for you, like every night you have to get up like what, three times a night? Yeah. I mean, depending on when she goes to sleep, it'll shift a little bit. So, but I think for us, the one thing that might benefit us is consistency with bedtime. Like we're not shifting like, oh, some night she's going to bed at 930. Sometimes she's going to bed at, I don't know, seven, eight, whatever. We have like basically within like a 15 minute window, they are kind of doing their bedtime routine. So I think that that might help us as well. And it's the same thing with waking them up for the most part. I mean, for school, they wake up at a set time every day and then on the weekends, it's slightly later, but it's consistent. So I'm not sure. I don't want to throw off like their sleep patterns or, or, or circadian rhythm or whatever. Yeah, circadian or, rhythm. <laughs> almost Arcadian. had it. I knew it was something <laughs> That's that... That's the fun version. <laughs> <laughs> it sounded cooler in my yeah. head. Yeah. So the other thing is like we still have like sleep monitors for our kids. Like we still use the baby monitors because we have to keep an eye on them on the rooms because we, we never know what's going on. But one of the things that we've started to do is reduce the expectation from our children that we will come in every time they cry or every time they ask for us or things like that. And that's normal kid behavior. It is normal for a child to basically try to play on their parents and see if they can kind of manipulate them into coming into their room and giving them a snack or letting them out of their room or whatever it may be. Kids this age typically always are trying to find an excuse to get their parent to come and get them out of bed. We've had to basically use the monitors to kind of like observe what's going on in the room and then try to understand and gather whether it's a real need or if it's them trying to manipulate us, which is hard to do when you have an autistic kid. I've dealt with neurotypical kids and I have had no problems with situating that sleep schedule when I feel like they are doing the child manipulation thing, because that's just a matter of like discipline, setting boundaries, rules, that sort of thing. But when it comes to an autistic child, it's different. It's not always that they are pulling your leg as a parent. It might be a sensory need. It might be they need to use the restroom, but they don't know how to express it and they just cry. Our youngest still doesn't really express her needs. She'll have to use the bathroom and not tell us. So she'll just cry. Right. If she wakes up crying, I'll listen. So if I hear her say, I need to use the potty, obviously I'm going in to help her to make sure that she is able to use the potty and she's fine there and then tuck her back in. But sometimes like I'll see her like sit up in bed. She's kind of crying a little bit. And then because she's so tired, thankfully she'll lie back down. And then I'm like, cool, I'm, I'm set. I can go back to sleep. So, I mean, it really is you're kind of gauging like, okay, because she always wakes up crying, you have to give it a minute to kind of see, okay, is the crying winding down or is it starting to amplify where she's not even able to talk to the monitor so I know what's wrong? And that's when I have to kind of intervene because I don't know if it's, she's having a, I don't know, a night terror. She has to use a potty and doesn't, isn't able to say. So, I mean, you kind of have to weigh your options. And I mean, I've been fooled a couple of times where I go in there and she'll ask me for like a toy and I'm like, no, 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 it's three, yeah. in, it's three in the morning. We're not going to be like drawing on our like little doodle pad or whatever it is. We'll, we'll do it tomorrow morning. So there are times like that where I'm like, okay, you, you got me, but you really have to kind of play the game a little bit to try and figure out what is the reason. 
Yeah. But then there's other times where she'll get up and they each have a little potty in their room because we don't trust them with the bathroom because they will just go in and turn on all the faucets and play with the toilet water. So we have these little toilets, these little potties in their room and she will get up and use the potty and just sit there. She'll just sit there waiting for us to come and like clean her and not call for help or anything. And I feel so bad sometimes when I walk in and I see her sitting there and I'm like, oh my gosh, how long have you been there? She's never tried to ask for help. So she might cry in those situations. She might be crying because she doesn't know how to ask for help. So she just cries. Right. So, I mean, yeah, it is. I mean, you definitely want to check if you can. I mean, obviously the monitor is like a discreet way. So you don't have to open the door and then them see you. So I definitely recommend like have a monitor or camera or something so you can get a quick glance of like, okay, where is she in the room? Is she still in her bed? Is she out? What's going on? So, I mean, those, I think that's kind of a helpful tip if you're still able to use a a monitor like we have our camera just mounted on the wall so she doesn't really mess around with it at all what i also find really interesting is that the same studies that were looking into the sleep and autism relationship they also found this relationship with the lack of sleep and being like sleep deprived is interestingly also having an impact on those social interactions that you see in autism autistics who have poor sleep also end up having an association with poor social interaction, increased stereotypy, which means like stereotyped behaviors. So like stimming or lining things up or just like those rigid type of behaviors, communications, and just overall what you'd consider kind of autistic behaviors. So it's really interesting to see that 50 to 80% of autistics have sleep issues. And when they see this relationship between sleep and autistic behaviors, the less sleep they get, the more those behaviors come out. But I guess that makes sense because if you think, I mean, just in general, like when you're sleep deprived, you have less energy to basically face the world as far as a, (laughs) a gentle way of saying it. And I mean, it makes sense that that could be the case as well. I mean, it is interesting that the study actually proves that, but I mean, I'm just thinking like, if you have less sleep, you're not masking who you are to the rest of the world and you're just kind of going through the motions. So, I mean, it would make sense that you are picking up more of these behaviors if you have less sleep because you just don't have flat out have the energy to go through the day. Yeah. And the challenge is that there are not really any sort of like medications or like FDA approved medications on the books for children for sleep issues. So if your doctor is prescribing something, usually that's kind of like off label in the sense, like it's not really meant to be used in that way, but they're kind of like troubleshooting. So I know that they will sometimes prescribe, for example, antipsychotic medications. That was actually one that somebody that I talked to uses for their kid. And I was surprised. I was like, wow, I don't know that I would trust an antipsychotic on a kid because there's no like long-term studies on the impact. Well, I guess also the age, because I mean, like Mm -hmm. for us, because like both of our kids are under six and I feel like six is kind of that cutoff where you get an introduction of more medications. Cause like when you look at the back of it, it's always like, oh, six and under ask a doctor. So, I mean, I feel like we're not even to that threshold where it's like, okay, they can actually take this. Like you always have to check and it's like very hard to find something in that wheelhouse. And honestly, if you're listening to this and your kid is on one of those medications, this is not to judge you. Like, I'm sure you've spoken with your doctor and they vetted it. And, you know, case by case, it's probably fine. I'm not a doctor, but I just feel like for me personally, I'm the type of person that tries to use as little medication as possible while they're young and the brains are still developing because those studies just haven't been done. So I personally don't just don't trust it when you have such a young developing brain. Right. Because ours are three and four. So, I mean, you're starting 
starting very, very young to start introducing this as a regular sleep medication, essentially, into their bodies at such a a young age and potentially could go for however many years that they struggle with sleeping. So, I mean, that might be like their entire lives potentially on medication. We are actually concerned enough about our child that we are looking into this medically. We are going to meet with a doctor to see what options or if we should be concerned, etc. There are moments and situations where I feel like that is the appropriate response. Some circumstances in which that might be the case is if you see that your child is getting so little sleep that you feel like it could be impacting them on the day to day. If they're only getting three to five hours of sleep, that's obviously not healthy. So like, yeah, medical intervention might be necessary in that case, for instance. The two things that I typically look for are, first off, have you exhausted all other efforts to try and make the accommodations necessary to get them more sleep? And then the second one basically being, is there a pattern of this is occurring every single night for a week, two weeks? I mean, if it's a pattern where it's every single night, something is going on. And if you haven't been able to resolve it, then then I think you should look into additional resources and try and find out how best to help your child. Right. And that is what doctors tend to try to do first. They try to kind of rule out any sort of behavioral things, sensory things, that sort of stuff before they resort to medication. They might also want to rule out any sort of like seizure activity or brain activity. So they might refer your child to get an EEG done, for example, just to make sure that they can rule any of that out before they go to medication. So generally speaking, they will try to look at all these other factors first. And medication is supposed to kind of be like the last resort. With the exception of melatonin, because since that is more like homeopathic, like that's milder and a natural occurring hormone in your body, they're more okay with that. So you might save yourself some time if instead of going to like the pediatrician, you try a number of these methods to try and resolve on your own before going there. Because when you go there, they might just turn it back on you. Oh, have you tried giving them milk, for example? Mm -hmm. And if you haven't tried it, I mean, unless you're like, yeah, I tried to give them milk, even though you hadn't, you might be able to try and rule out what they're going to ask you before you actually get there and then go from there. Except for the melatonin, even though that is like an over-the-counter drug, I would still do that with the help of a doctor because the dosing can be tricky. For our youngest, because of her age and her weight, because she's really small, her dosing of melatonin was actually half of whatever the pill is that you get with the lowest dose in the store. So had I not known that, I probably would have just grabbed melatonin for kids and just given her the full tablet when I was actually only supposed to give her half of the tablet. And she would have slept just <laughs> right through the Probably night. would have worked a little too well. Right. No, no. And of course, we are opposed yes. to all that. <laughs> so that is why I'm saying make sure that even if it's something that's over the counter, run it by your pediatrician first just to be safe. Right. And I mean, even, I mean, just in general, because I mean, I remember when our oldest actually had an ear infection and they had prescribed medication at the pharmacy, they were actually adding water to dilute the uh, solution or whatever. So, I mean, because they're so young, I mean, they definitely need more attention to the medication that they're getting. So, I mean, I would definitely always, I mean, consult with a pediatrician. Did you get into the melatonin? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I've got my Kool-Aid that I'm drinking here tonight. Is that Kool-Aid though? It's, it looks a little melatonin purple to me. <laughs> it's cherry flavored. <laughs> Yeah, so that's pretty much what we have on this. Like we have basically both me and my kids have experienced a lot of sleep issues. It is very common in autism. There's a lot of things you can do in terms of sensory accommodations to try to help that. So look into whatever you feel like your child's specific sensory needs are and make sure that those needs are being met for sleep time. Make sure that they have access to those sensory inputs, whether it's a weighted blanket or white noise or whatever it may be. I now also have light blocking curtains because I cannot sleep with light. And I also have an eye mask 
that is not your typical eye mask. It is like a padded eye mask so that it is light sealing. Because if a tiny bit of light gets near my eyes, I can't sleep. But I also need the TV on. So it's a tricky situation. (laughs) Because I need this I need the sound from the TV, but I can't have the light. Of course. If I had a setting on a TV, that's what they should do. Create a setting on your TV where you could turn off the actual TV and just listen to the audio. That would be awesome. Do you find that that would be a large market of people who would want a TV that doesn't display (laughs) anything? Just get a radio. Yeah, just call it radio mode. Radio TV. Hey, there's ambient mode where you just turn on a TV and just shows you pictures. Okay. Okay, so if you have ambient mode, there should be radio mode. (sighs) Okay. That is cool. I'm going to patent that and watch. It's going to be a success. Well, you'll be able to watch. Listen to that. It'll be a success. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, basically just keep an eye on that. At the end of the day, if you feel like it is becoming overwhelming for you or your kid, just talk to a pediatrician and go from there. Yeah, definitely try and figure out what are possible causes. And then, I mean, yeah, like you said, talk to a pediatrician because I feel like that is kind of the catch-all if you're missing something, if they're able to explain something better, or in some cases, medication might be the option. So thanks for listening, everyone. And I hope you all get a good night's sleep tonight because I know I won't. (laughs) So cheesy. (laughs) All right. Bye, everyone. Bye. To review, we suggested evaluating the potential cause to your child's sleep disturbances, which may be due to sensory, behavioral, or medical reasons. We also stress the importance of creating a sleep haven for your child with ideal sleep conditions, such as use of weighted blankets, calming music, soothing lights, or any other sensory items unique to your child's particular needs. Lastly, we noted how melatonin or medication may be useful but should be considered as a last resort and always discussed with your child's pediatrician. Join us next week as we talk about the quirkier, more playful side of autism and ask questions such as, why do many autistics continue to hold onto childhood toys, stuffed animals, or TV shows into adulthood? Should I discourage my teen or adult autistic child from playing with toys or other childish hobbies? And why does my child seem to prefer playing with younger kids or much older adults rather than peers their own age? This is Embracing Autism.